It's uh, so inspiring to hear a story of God at work doing miraculous things when we live in the kind of world that we live in with so much bad news. Don't you agree? And uh, just a great testimony, great reminder that God is for us and not against us. And that God can take any circumstance and use it toward a good end. And we need to hear that, especially in light of the days that we are living in. And I want to welcome all of you and our 95th campus back into our series on prophecy. If you've missed out on the first couple of messages, you can go on the website and listen or watch or to our resource center and grab something there. But right now, I have a lot to convey uh, this weekend, so we're going to jump right in. And if you can't keep up with all the details and writing all the references down, that's why it's on the web, okay? So you can go back over it again and check through it. But I, at the end, I want to deal with a couple of questions that I think are on a lot of people's minds this weekend. So here we go. Grab your Bibles and open up, if you will, please, to the book of Ezekiel or Zeke, as we've been calling him. And uh, if you're using the chair Bible, it's somewhere around page 658 or so, I believe. And I'm going to just dive right in here as we start looking at the passage. Ezekiel chapter 38, I want to start reading for you at verse 14. Here's what it says. God is speaking. Therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people are living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself. You will come from your homeland in the distant north with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches, and my holiness will be displayed. By what happens to you, Gog, then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Now, throughout these chapters, 38 and 39, we learned last weekend that God continually refers to himself as the sovereign God, the God who is in charge of all things, and that God can even take what seems like chaos and because he sees the end from the beginning, because he's in charge, he's even, to you, he's even able to use the things that seem chaotic and confusing to us to bring about his perfect ending. And that's what's happening in this passage. And as you and I look around and see the chaos in our lives or in our culture or in our world today, the encouraging news is God's in ultimate control. And God can take even man's rebellious and sinful ways and God can move it all to bring about the ending that he has in store. And that's, that's encouraging. There are no secret meetings when it comes to God. There are no leaders or politicians or, or criminals who are having meetings behind closed doors thinking that nobody else knows about them, scheming and making their plans. God knows everything that's going on God is never surprised. Aren't you glad? We're surprised. We're shocked. But nothing shocks and nothing surprises God. So here's what I want to do. I want to quickly just kind of recast uh, 
uh, a, a map for us to kind of get our geography in line and, and consider what is going on here. And the board is back. Aren't you glad? Enough of this high-tech garbage. You know what I mean? I just got to go back to, I got to go back to my chalkboard. Love this board. Let's give it up for the board, all right? Good. All right. That's enough. Okay, so uh, we're, we're going to imagine that this is the Mediterranean Sea, okay? And this is going to represent little old Israel, smaller than New Jersey. And we'll call this, you know, Jerusalem the epicenter, okay? Ezekiel has been telling us that someday there's going to be this, this coalition that's going to be led way up here by Russia Gog, in the passage, refers to the leader of Russia. Whether that's now or later, we don't know, so we can't necessarily name the leader specifically. It's going to include Turkey, which is known as Gomer. It's going to include uh, Ethiopia, Sudan. It's going to include Libya, Algiers, as you go off the African uh, peninsula there. It's also going to include uh, Iran or Persia, which is over here, okay, actually a little higher. And uh, it's also going to include, you know, the former, what we think of so- Soviet republics, uh, perhaps Syria, Lebanon. All these forces are going to pour in at poor Israel, all right, to destroy her, to annihilate her, to basically push her and get her away. And nobody... Think about the U.S., think about Western Europe. Nobody comes to their aid. They are left all alone, and it appears that it is absolutely hopeless that there is not going to be a relief for Israel, that it's kind of the final thing, all right? And it's a trick. I just, there, and it's almost empty as well. That's cool, all right? So I'll reach down there, okay, and I will wipe my hands off, all right? That gave you a little break, okay? All right, it's always fun. I love surprises, okay? So back to the passage of of Scripture here. Let's go back, and I want to start reading at verse 18, because with this scenario, here's what happens. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. When God invades the land of Israel, my fury will boil over. Wow. In my jealousy and blazing anger, I promise a mighty shaking in the land of Israel on that day. All living things, the fish in the sea, the birds of the sky, the animals of the field, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people on the earth will quake in terror at my presence. Mountains will be thrown down. Cliffs will crumble. Walls will fall to the earth. I will summon the sword against you and all the hills of Israel, says the sovereign Lord. Your men will turn their swords against each other. I will punish you and your armies with disease and bloodshed. I will send torrential rain, hailstones, fire, and burning sulfur. In this way, I will show my greatness and holiness, and I will make myself known to all the nations of the world. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Remember last weekend we said that all the nations are going, to, are, are going to see this happen. We talked about technology today and how we've watched wars. Well, if we're around, we'll be watching this thing take place. 
And it's an awful picture as God comes to the rescue of Israel. There's this massive earthquake. And it's so great that, you know, all the fish in the Mediterranean Sea or the Sea of Galilee, they feel it. All the animals. And whether it's felt worldwide or just regionally, I don't know. But it's going to be a, a, a shaking of the earth and the shaking of, of the souls of men and women as well. In addition, he says that there's going to be disease that's going to just occur as a result of, of the death and the bloodshed. It tells us there's going to be a torrential rain and flooding. It says there's going to be hailstones, fire, burning sulfur. It's just going to be a bad, bad situation there on the northern hills of Israel coming down over the Golan Heights. Now, some people look at this and they go, well, that sounds like a nuclear fallout. You know, Iran and Israel. There's no mention here of man creating this. This is something that God does. Man can't take the credit for it. This is something that God causes to happen. Not only are the armies of this evil coalition decimated by this, but if you turn over to chapter 39 and look at verse 6, God says, and I will rain down fire on Magog and all your allies who live safely on the coast. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In other words, this affects not only armies on the northern hills attacking uh, um, Israel or coming from the south or coming from the east. But even their own homelands, this evil coalition's homelands, will be affected by what God does. They will be greatly, greatly decimated as a result of these things. Now, I want you to go over to verse 23 of chapter 39. It says, The nations will then know why Israel was sent away to exile. It was punishment for sin, for they were unfaithful to their God. Therefore I turned away from them and let their enemies destroy them. I turned my face away and punished them because of their defilement and their sins. In other words, what's going to happen is people are going to realize that, you know, in times past, God allowed Israel to reap the consequences of its sin. And so her enemies thought she was vulnerable and she could be taken. But now they're going to discover that the promises that God made to Israel, specifically to Abraham, that he would have a posterity and be turned into a nation, that God keeps his promises. And he says that all the nations will know this and all the nations will see this. And that's why I cannot buy into this, this teaching that some uh, Bible teachers expound on, that, that somehow the church has replaced Israel, that God is through with Israel. I read the scriptures, let them speak for themselves, and I don't see it. God is ever through with Israel. When God makes a promise, God keeps a promise. How devastating is this whole war that takes place. Well, if you come down to verse 12 of chapter 39, listen to what it says. It says, It will take seven months for the people of Israel to bury the bodies and cleanse the land. Verse 14, After seven months, teams of men will be appointed to search the land for skeletons to bury, so the land will be made clean again. It's going to be a devastating, devastating experience that it takes that long to bury the dead and clean up the land. And the whole world will see this and the whole world is going to know this. And the whole world is going to shudder as a result of what has taken place. And there will be no human explanation for it. So go over, if you will, to verse uh, 25 with me. 
says, so now, this is what the sovereign Lord says. We'll end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel. For I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind. And I will never again turn my face from them. For I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Now these are exciting verses for several reasons. First of all, I just want you to go back to verse 25. God says, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. What does that refer to? I think it refers to the fact that God made a promise to Abraham that he would give him a nation. And God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And God keeps his promises, doesn't he? No matter what happens, no matter how long it takes, no matter what it looks like, God keeps his promises. And God's made a promise, I believe, to Abraham that he's going to fulfill. And he's going to protect his nation. He's going to bless his nation. He's going to keep his eye on them. He has brought them back into a nation. Again, I think that happened in 1947 or 1948. And God has an intention to watch over them and to transform their hearts and transform their lives. And that's what takes place as a result of this. And that's what makes me nervous about our nation and our attitude toward Israel. God says, I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. And when I think about this whole story and I ask myself the question, you know, where is the U.S. during this period of time? Why aren't we involved? I begin to watch what's going on in the news and in the headlines. And I see that It would be very easy for Western Europe, it would be very easy for the United States to kind of step away from the conflict. You know, when you go back to the uh, time of World War II, and the U.S. and the Allies were being asked to to bomb Auschwitz, to deal with it, because of the Holocaust that was taking place. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but, but the Jews were told, no, we can't bomb you because if we do, it'll just make the Germans more angry and more upset. And they'll do worse things. And sometimes, you know, that's kind of the attitude. No, we can't deal with Iran. We can't deal with the radical Muslims because it'll only make things worse. If we just leave it alone, it'll all get better. Hitler will get over it. The radicals will get over it. Look what history teaches us. Recently, our own president made a comment that went something like this concerning Israel. Referring to Israel, he said, you know what? Israel doesn't even know what's in her best interest. Meaning, she should seek to have peace in a two-state situation with Palestinians and not provoke Iran into any kind of war. You know what? I think Israel really knows pretty well what their interests are. I wish our leaders knew what the interests were here in our own country. I wish they were concerned about what our interests are. 
let alone looking at Israel and, and having this attitude. You just see us withdrawing. You see Israel becoming increasingly isolated. And, you know, you go back to the Bible and you don't have to scratch your head and you look at the passage like this and you go, I see what's going on. I see what's taking place. But, you know, there's something else that happens here. As a result of this battle, I believe there's going to be a worldwide revival that could take place. Because nobody's going to be able to explain this as something that man did. God did this. There will be many Jews, not all, but many Jews who are going to turn to the Messiah. And listen to this. It is also very possible that there will be many Muslims who are going to turn to Christ. Joel Rosenberg, who's written Epicenter, you ought to read the book. He's probably the foremost scholar and teacher on prophecy these days. He really understands what's going on there. Made a statement that I want to read to you in regards to these prophecies. And and listen to what he says. He says, as a result, I believe Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes the end of radical Islam. And effectively, the end of all Islam as we know it. When the God of Israel destroys the forces of radical Islam supernaturally, while Muslims watch on Al Jazeera, how will they wake up the day after and believe that the Quran is true and that Muhammad is the true prophet? The vast majority of Muslims will abandon Islam. Many will turn to faith in Jesus Christ. Not all, of course, but many will because they will have seen the word of God come true right in front of them. And the word was God, and the word is God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and his name is Jesus the Messiah. Amen? Amen. So, I mean, there's, you know, we, we can't detail it out. We don't know exactly, but if you follow what's going on here and read the scriptures carefully, and all nations see this, they know that God is at work, and I believe this is still in the future, it gets to be very exciting. So, When, when will this happen? Let's go back to the board, see if we can figure that out. If you're at 95th, hope you guys are doing a timeline with me on your uh, notes or maybe on your wrists or your hands, keeping it with you, all right? But uh, let's imagine that this broad line represents time. Would you like me to do that with my fingernails? Just kidding, all right? How many of you you can't handle that? Oh, it makes me want to do it, but I won't, okay? So let's just say, let's just say the cross over here, all right, represents obviously our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for man's sins, okay? This is now. At some point, according to Daniel 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, um, according to Paul in Thessalonians, book of Revelation, we are going to enter into what is known as the seven-year tribulation period. So let's say the tribulation starts somewhere here. All right, it's divided in half, remember? So you got three and a half and three and a half. You have an event in between that is the ascension of the Antichrist. This is a time of sorrows and difficulty. This is a time when he is angry. Let's call it the great tribulation. He turns against Israel. Remember, he's made a covenant with Israel to protect Israel. And he turns against Israel. He turns against the believers. Begins to persecute them. It gets really bad. 
And then we have the rapture. Now, there are some people who say the rapture starts here. Okay? Hopefully they're right. Okay? Then you got this crazy bald-headed pastor who agrees with scholars that thinks that the rapture is probably going to be over here. That we'll go through some of this persecution. We'll be taken out. God pours out his wrath on the Antichrist. You have the return of Christ. You have the battle of Armageddon. And then you have the millennium that takes place here. All right? Now, where does this event we're talking about take place? It could happen anywhere in 2013 to, let's say, over here. When exactly, we don't know. But I agree with the Bible scholars to say it could happen any time before the church is raptured out. This event we're looking at is not the same as Armageddon. If you read what happens at Armageddon and who all's involved, it's not the same players. It's not the same situation. There's no mention of the Antichrist here. It's a, it's a world coalition that comes against Christ. This is a local regionalized coalition. Yes, it mentions Gog and Magog and the wars of the future, but that's just the remnants who are left over. It's not this specific war that's being spoken of in this passage of Scripture. So that is what I think is going to happen in terms of timing. And you and I may be watching, maybe watching this. I think about the words of Gandalf, sorry to bring him up, but in the Lord of the Rings, when he says to the hobbit, the board is set. What? The pieces are moving. That's what it feels like right now, doesn't it? The board is set. And the pieces are moving. And God, in his sovereignty, is allowing these things to happen. And he's bringing them to pass. Now, having said that, I want to deal with a couple of questions that may be on your mind, certainly have been on my mind. I kind of jotted down these questions as, as some thoughts that I wanted to uh, share since we have a little bit of time left. First question is simply this. How does, how does the current situation in the Middle East right now with what's going on, how does the current situation in the Middle East play into this situation that we read about in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39? Well, first of all, nobody knows with detail how it all plays out. In other words, I can't give you specifics about how it'll play out. But we can, we can read scholars, we can read people like Joel o, uh, Rosenberg, who studies this, who knows you know, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who knows people in the, in the government, who's very tuned in to what's taking place, and they can help us understand some of these things. For instance, it is possible... And we know that Israel is about to have its elections. It appears that Netanyahu will be voted back in. It appears that the Israeli government will be even more conservative, more right-wing when he gets back in. It is possible that sometime this year, Israel could take the first strike and cripple Iran as a result of this. Now, there's a fascinating prophecy that I want to draw your attention to that deals with Iran. And it's found over in Jeremiah chapter 49. So if you want to open your Bibles there, and that's just uh, back a little further from Ezekiel. It's in front of Ezekiel, right? Jeremiah chapter 49. Now I want to read this to you, and I just want you to listen. We'll comment as I go along briefly. 
okay? It's going to talk about a place called Elam. And if you study the etymology of Elam, it takes you back to Persia or what we think of as Iran today. Ezekiel chapter 49, verse 34. This message concerning Elam, let's think of Iran, came to the prophet Jeremiah from the Lord at the beginning of the reign of King Zedekiah of Judah. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. You just don't want to hear that if you're an enemy. When God says the Lord of heaven's armies, that means whoever is on the other side is in big trouble. I will destroy the archers or the armies of Elam, the best of their forces. What are the guards called uh, in Iran? Um, they're, They're elitists, you know, the revolutionary guard. I will bring enemies from all directions, and I will scatter the people of Elam to the four winds. They will be exiled to countries around the world. You know, in 1979 with the revolution, you know, many, many Iranians were scattered around the world. I myself will go with Elam's enemies to shatter it. In my fierce anger, I will bring great disaster upon the people of Elam, says the Lord. Their enemies will chase them with a sword until I have destroyed them completely. I will set my throne in Elam, says the Lord, and I will destroy its king and officials. Now listen carefully. But I will restore the fortunes of Elam, or Iran, in days to come. I, the Lord, have spoken. You read that passage of Scripture, and it's, it's, it's somewhat complex. It's somewhat challenging, but it's very possible that what we have here is a picture that Israel or someone goes in and attacks Iran, and God is with them as God has been with Israel ever since she became a nation. Some miraculous battles that she has fought and won that can't be explained in any way but God. And that the officials and the leaders are decimated. And you have revival, spiritual revival, take place in Iran. Right now it's estimated that there are over a million Shia converts to Jesus Christ in Iran. Iranian Christians believe that before the second coming of Christ, before Christ returns at the second coming, that Iran is going to be revived spiritually and will go out as missionaries throughout the Middle East. Now, I was in Belgium a couple of years ago, and uh, there's a work going on with Iranians who live in Belgium, and God is changing hearts and lives. And I heard the first hand stories the missionaries working with these Iranians who are having dreams where Jesus is coming to them and their hearts and lives are being changed. That's why you got to read the Word of God. Here's a passage of Scripture that very possibly could be alluding to one scenario that could take place as a result of what's happening overseas in the Middle East right now. Another scenario that plays into this passage of Scripture. You know, Russia uh, obviously could build a coalition with these Arab nations, these radical Muslims, and she's been doing that. And she may say, you know what, let's, let's stop this whole nuclear business. Let's create a nuclear-free zone. Israel, you have to get rid of your nukes if you have them. I think they probably have them. All right? And it has to be done. And Israel says, no way, we're not going to do that. We are not about to, you know, give in and be destroyed. And so Russia forms a coalition and she comes in against Israel, then we'll deal with you militarily. And you can see where the UN, you can see where the US would step away and say, yeah, you, you know, you're not willing to go along, and so you have to be dealt with. 
And then that brings about what we've been talking about here in this passage of Scripture. Or it could be a situation where Russia, which is the biggest exporter of natural gas, realizes Israel has just discovered what's called the Leviathan, this massive gas field off its coast, and Russia says, we want that, so let's, let's go ahead and work with the uh, 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 Arab states and build a coalition and help them get rid of their, their enemy Israel. And then we will control the world basically because we will have the oil and all that natural gas. And that could play into it. As well, the United States could make some promises to Israel that she'll back her up, that that if she'll just back away and settle down, we'll be with her, she has nothing to worry about, and then we renege on those promises. And as a result of that, the enemies come flooding in. The reality is we don't know specifically how current events are going to play into this, but you can see scenarios, you can see possibilities and what you got to do is hold the Word of God in one hand and the headlines in the other hand and just watch and see what is God doing. These are really exciting days. And I know there's a lot of gloom and doom going on right now, but do you realize the spiritual revival that could come out of this? Maybe the best days for the faith is still ahead, though we might have to go through some difficulties as well. Here's another question that I find fascinating as well. Does the Uh, what about the current situation in Syria? Is there anything in the Bible about what's taking place right now with the warfare and the devastation that's taking place in Syria? And there is. I want you to turn over to the prophet Isaiah for just a moment. Isaiah, all right? And when you get to Isaiah, I want you to turn over to chapter 17, all right? Isaiah chapter 17 And you can write this down if you want to go back and read it again. And I want you to look at the first three verses of that passage of Scripture with me. Isaiah chapter 17, verse 1. This message came to me concerning Damascus. How many of you have ever heard of Damascus? Okay, it's in the news quite a bit, isn't it? All right. Look, the city of Damascus will disappear. Do you you realize that in in history, Damascus has never disappeared? (laughs) It is one of the oldest continual cities on earth. It's been attacked, it's been besieged, it's been occupied, but it's never disappeared, it's never been empty. Look, the city of Damascus will disappear. It will become a heap of ruins. The towns of Aurora will be deserted. Flocks will graze the streets and lie down undisturbed. With no one to chase them away, the fortified towns of Israel will also be destroyed and the royal power of Damascus will end. All the remains of Syria will share the fate of Israel. Departed glory, declares the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, in the ancient days when God allowed the Assyrians to come in, he basically decimated the northern tribes of Israel. But Damascus stood and stayed. Damascus has not yet disappeared. It is interesting to see what's going on in Syria right now. Is God preparing to fulfill this prophecy? Or go back to Jeremiah chapter 49 again. If you're back in Jeremiah chapter 49, you need to read your Bibles. All right? Look what it says in verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 23. This message was given concerning Damascus. This is what the Lord says. The towns of Hamath and Arpet are struck with fear, for they have heard the news of their destruction. Their hearts are troubled like a wild sea in a raging storm. Damascus has become feeble, and all her people turn to flee. 
Fear, anguish, and pain have gripped her as they grip a woman in labor. That famous city, a city of joy, will be forsaken. Her young men will fall in the streets and die. Her soldiers will all be killed, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And I will set fire to the walls of Damascus that will burn up the palaces of Ben-Hadad. Interesting. Interesting passage of Scripture. You have, you have immediate consequences, and then you have it described in such a way that it, there are far-reaching consequences that haven't been fulfilled yet. And there are Bible scholars who say, you know what? That is still waiting to happen. And it's fascinating, again, to see what is taking place in the Middle East right now. Now, with these passages of Scripture, you have to be careful. You have to read them and hold them in your hand and be curious about them and understand them and just wait to see how things play out, to see how God works them out. But we ought to be aware of God's word. One last question. How how should you and I respond to things that are taking place right now in our world and specifically in the Middle East? Well, One of the things that the Bible teaches us is that we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That we ought to pray for God to do a reviving work in the Middle East. You know, one of the fascinating things that's going on right now is is that the president of Israel, the, the leader of Israel, the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, in 2011, began a Bible study. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but he has a son. His son's name is Avni. Avni won the national Bible contest in Israel and placed third in the world at the World National Bible Quiz. And so Netanyahu himself has decided we need to have a Bible study. And so he's been inviting a lot of his leaders to this Bible study. And I just want to read a, a portion here from uh, Joe Rosenberg, who knows the man and, uh, and shares a bit. He says, As the study began, Netanyahu said, Ben-Gurion and Begin believe that the Bible should be the heritage of the entire nation, secular and religious, young and old, men and women. The Bible is the foundation of our existence. Why don't you wish you'd hear that from our leaders? It unites the Jewish people as it has throughout the generations. It also serves not only as a foundation, but also as a map and a compass. The compass church. The Bible is always relevant vis-a-vis today's problems and challenges. It's coming from Netanyahu. It inspires, it is a source of life for our people, and I think that it is important to expand Bible study and love of the Bible among all parts of the nation. This is also the goal of this circle. Those are his words. And he believes in this prophecy of Ezekiel, and he believes that Ezekiel 37 has taken place and I don't know, you know, where his faith is, but he certainly believes that the Bible describes times past, time present, and time in the future. And he believes it is central to Israel's future. It is central to our future as well. And we ought to be praying that God would use the circumstances that are going on right now to bring those chosen people that he made a promise to through Abraham, he would bring them back to himself. 
and transform their hearts and transform their lives. And we ought to pray that as we witness the things that are going to take place in this world, that if it happens in our lifetime, that the church will be prepared to share that God is in control, that God is bringing this about, and point people to Jesus Christ and see a revival take place. I'm hopeful, too, this weekend. How about you? That, that as bad as things are, God can take the worst things, as we saw in the video testimony. God can take the most difficult things and do an awesome and great thing. Amen? You know, our God is, is a great God, isn't he? He's an awesome God. And he does great and powerful things. And next weekend in the message, I'm going to talk to you about how in these days that we're living in, with the possibility of these things taking place, I want to talk to you from an ancient story in the Old Testament about how you and your family can survive a different kind of battle that we're facing. That's happening right now, our cultural battle. Got about five or six biblical principles from that ancient story. If, you, if you're concerned about yourself, if you're concerned about your family, I urge you to make sure you're back next weekend. But right now, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the hope that we get from your word. It is just incredible. Thank you, God, that when we're confused and distraught over what's taking place in the headlines, we can go back to your word and find that, that God's in control. And that you're going to use these things to bring about your perfect will. Oh God, you are a great God. How great, how great is our God. Someday every knee shall bow and every tongue confess of every leader, every nation, every person. That his son, your son, Jesus Christ, is Lord of all. And we look forward to that day in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing, How Great is Our God.